We continue our series or begin a series on Mary and we're going to emphasize the announcement that she received from the angel, her reaction to that announcement, and then ultimately what it would be like to give birth to the Savior. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, December 6th, St. Nicholas Day, 2015. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I forgot to mention that many of Yaroslav's songs are very hard to sing. So that one may be, if you're unfamiliar with it, uh, challenging to sing. Uh, Lorraine told us a nightmare, which I'm going to make public right now. She said she, sang, uh, she played it for an Advent service once, and she said, oh, we have to play this hymn. She said, it's the, of all hymns of all times that she plays so beautifully on Sundays, it's the one that w- went the worst the first time she played it. So nice job today, though, Lorraine. It was beautiful. Uh, we're, talk- we're moving into Christmas and worship and times. This is just an update. You saw that in your... Um, your bulletin. So we got a couple events that are a little bit different of our schedule. So on the 20th, instead of our usual service, we'll set up for church on that Sunday. I believe the school district will let us keep our stuff up for through the 3rd of January. But instead of doing our usual worship, we're going to be doing our lunches, or not lunches, the um, care packages for the homeless. So it's uh, basic hygiene items. And we do about a thousand of those. So it takes us about an hour and 15 minutes. And in the past, We've had a potluck, so I'll talk to the, we're going to meet today after church to see if that still makes sense. Uh, but it's kind of a good event, and it, an event that we've looked forward to. We've done lunches in the past, and instead of church in our usual time, we have a short devotion. Um, pray that God blesses these small packages for the homeless people in Douglas County. We used to send our stuff up to Denver, and now we keep it in the county. That's our goal. And then the 24th, that gives our musicians a chance to practice and get ready for Christmas Eve, one of our biggest and uh, most joyful services, Christmas Eve, which is at 5 o'clock on, that'll be a Thursday, I believe, this year at 5 o'clock. So um, that's what's going on. So we move into our Advent kind of readings and our uh, sections today, which I'm pretty excited about. Uh, how many of you, Christmas is your favorite time of year? I, yeah, for me too. I, I, Christmas is the best. Even in spite of the busyness, in spite of all the things that, you know, overwhelming, you look at your calendar at Christmas in, in December, I'm guessing your calendar for events is considerably more full than it is other parts of the year. Other parts of the year, you got business stuff, you got projects you got to do. But Christmas, there's like events to do. You're going to shows, you're getting together with friends, you've got Christmas concerts for your kids. And, and in, in the midst of that, you still have to get all this other stuff done. So Christmas is one of my favorite times of year, not because I got the biggest and best presents. I've told you, growing up, I, had, uh, I was not uh, depraved by any means, or pri- deprived, not depraved. <laughs> just fix that here. I'm going to just redo that sentence. I was not deprived in any way, but, and I knew I wasn't going to get the biggest and best and coolest presents, but Christmas was more about the traditions and the things that my family did, and I'm sure you have traditions like that. Some of those traditions, I'm trying to push on you. So that's why uh, every Advent or most Advents, we hand out Advent devotional books. These are memories of my own childhood when we would get to Advent and my parents would get out the wreath, we'd light the candles, and then uh, we'd do a devotion every night. One year, my dad was super motivated, and he cut in 24 uh, holes into a log, a giant birch log, and so we got to light candles every night, which was the greatest thing ever for a small boy to be able to light things. We would have an Advent wreath here, except there's three things that are illegal in the school district. One is drugs, uh, the other is firearms, and the third is candles, and only one of those affects us as a church, so we cannot have our own Advent wreath. But I look forward to all those things, the anticipation of all these things, and one of the things that my mother would do is she would have hardcover books, and I've told you this before, I have 20 of them now, and she quit, she cut us off this year. 
Uh, but I have 20 hardcover books because when I grew up, one of my favorite things when we'd set up all the ornaments and all the presents is we'd have this stack of books, and I would look through that same set of books again and again and again. And one of those books is, um, Twas the Night Before Christmas. If you're familiar with this, some of you probably read this even on Christmas Eve. I've heard some of you say that. That's an interesting thing uh, because there's two big factors that influence the way in America we look at Christmas. Number one, one of the biggest ones is obviously historic St. Nicholas. So he had, he had wealthy parents and he lived in modern-day Turkey. This is around the two to three hundreds. I said he was at the Council of Nicaea. And there's a couple traditions about him. One is the kids would put their shoes out and then he would put coins in the shoes or money in the shoes. The other, which is he's got some that are fit into the closer to legend category, but one that they think has some substance to it is, uh, substance to it is there was a family that couldn't afford their dowry. There's three daughters. They couldn't afford it. And St. Nicholas, at the time, took sacks of gold and then gave them to the father so that his daughters didn't have to remain single for the rest of their life. They could get married. So that one's got some historic background to it. Now, where he put the gold sacks kind of influences how we look at things in America. Some say he put them in a shoe. Some say he threw them down the chimney because the door was locked. Some say he threw them in the window. So what's the other biggest factor in the way that we view things in America? It was the night before Christmas. If you didn't know this, this book was written by Clement Moore, 1823. So just imagine you live in the United States at the time, and the United States is only like 50 years old at this time, roughly. And you get this poem that goes out. It was published anonymously for nine years, but it influenced the way greatly. It determines um, Santa's BMI. Up until that time, we had no indication that he was kind of jolly and jolly this way. Um, from that poem is where that comes from. The idea of the stockings. How many of you put stockings on your mantle? Right, that's the best place to put flammable objects, right? Just hang them slowly close to the fire. We even did that in my household with a real fire, and we had two house fires. And we still did it. I'm like, I don't know what, you think we could have sprayed them with some kind of sealant or something. We did not. One of those house fires was on Christmas Eve, actually. I've told you that story about my bathroom starting on fire. That's a different sermon. But, uh, so the, the stockings, the, the entryway through the chimney, traditionally comes from that poem, and the names of the deer. So if you're saying, the reindeer, you're saying, well, Donner and Blitzen, that all comes from that poem which uh, someone has said probably one of the most influential pieces of literature that has affected American culture. Why do I bring this up? Because it's a story. You know, the story, stories are powerful, aren't they? They they can somehow move things on to generation to generation. When you've got a story to tell, it's not just here's the facts. I could give you the facts of St. Nicholas, but it's the story that's compelling, I think. And it's the story that kind of draws you in and the story that kind of brings this um, kind of this warmness and nostalgia to it. Now, that's not the only Christmas story, and that's what we're going to be talking about this, these Sundays, the story of Mary. And, and hopefully I can kind of pull you into the life of Mary as she got ready for that first Christmas. Because she looked forward. She looked forward to things just like you do. She looked forward to, um, as and all the believers at that time, they would have looked forward to the coming of a Messiah. And that would have come up at a few different times, which I'll talk about. But as a young Jewish girl, they had festivals, and everyone loves festivals. And one of the biggest ones that they had, Yom Kippur, was huge. That was like the ultimate. But as far as family interaction, when you think of our Christmas, and you think about getting together, and you think about having a special meal, and you could imagine what it would be like 
to sit down at the feet of her family and hear them tell the story. So her father, her grandfather, uh, you know, practiced in, this, in, the, in a culture where you tell stories, would sit down and tell the story of, you know, it was the night before we left Egypt. You know, and all through the land, everything is silent. I, I can't rhyme very well. So it, you could imagine, like, all the kids loving this, and they would hide the afikomen, and they would do all these events, and they would tell the story of this one to come. And part of that story, and kind of hidden in that story, was the picture of a Messiah to come. And because in that story, they said there was a lamb, as you're familiar with. There's a lamb, and that lamb had to die. And you can imagine, they tell the story about how they painted the door frames, and the kids' eyes would get wide, and then they'd say, like, and then the angel of death passed over, and you can imagine the shudders as they tell this. And then that night, they all leave. And then the story of God's power as he separates the Red Sea and all the wonders that go with it. So Mary herself, even growing up, would have looked forward to this coming Messiah. Even more so, I think, there's Clement. There's our flammable objects. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. I think that would add more to it. If of all the Jewish people in all the land, when you hear this story, to find out this Messiah to come, this Savior to come, was going to be from your own family people. And if it was me, if I knew they would say the Messiah is going to come from the land of Oldenburg or something, I'd be like, wow. Like, maybe one day I'm going to know this Messiah. Like, when I go to a family function, maybe I'm going to run into the Messiah. So Mary would have looked forward to this. For how long? Like, how long is Christmas really a huge deal for you? Like, I, and this is where I'm, I'm proposing. that Christmas is pretty magical until about 7, 8, 9. And then it just sort of changes a little bit. You know what I mean? There, there's... You, you, tra- you start to transition, and you, there's kind of this holding pattern until you get to the age where you have your own kids. And now, instead of being the one um, hearing the story, you're the one who's telling the story. And you're the one who is making the traditions, and you're the one who's telling your own family story. I, I would propose that Mary was probably in that middle ground. You know, she looked forward to this Messiah kind of in this off way they would go to the festivals and things like that but now she's um, maybe 13 at the youngest but moving on she's engaged she's making her own plans is this still that big of a deal to her is she still like enthralled by the story when her dad sits down and talks about the passover to come so here she is in the middle of all of this when an announcement comes in the sixth month of elizabeth's pregnancy god sent the angel gabriel to nazareth to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. He's a descendant of David, as she was. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, immediately in her head, she wouldn't have been thinking, oh, the Messiah is about to be announced. There is no prophecy that talks about an angel showing up to announce the coming of the birth. All she would be thinking at this moment would be what? There's an angel in my house. So she's, at this point, you can imagine the terror that comes. I mean, even Zechariah was terrified. Every time an angel appears to human beings, their first reaction is utter terror. So it's not like precious moments coming down. And it's not like those carved ones. I can't think of the name of them. You know, th- there's holy terror that comes with this. And, and just probably about the moment she's about to scream, the angel says, 
Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth. Now, this is the most incredibly efficient announcement I think we can read in all of Scripture. Right? Because just imagine you're, you're Mary now, and you're engaged, and the, the angel says you're going to give birth. You're pretty excited. So some of you are about to give birth. This is really exciting. So what's the next thought that goes through your head as you kind of get, you know, contemplate this? I'm going to give birth to a baby. Man, I wonder if it's going to be a boy or a girl. You will give birth to a son. Okay, okay, that one's covered. All right, we got a boy. Now we got a boy. We can narrow the names down, and we can like cut out names like Mordecai and ones that sound like axe murderers, and then we can get rid of our crazy uncle names, and then, you know, you start to narrow it down, and then to like maybe we can, and you will name him Jesus. You will call him Jesus. All right, the name is already done, the boy is already done. You know, the birth is already in a like an engineer wrote this up in heaven. The the civil engineers were doing this, and then what's left? You're wondering like what's going to happen to my baby, right? Do you ever wonder that? Because now you've got this baby, you've got a name, and you want to give it a name that's appropriate, right? Like, if you want it to be a professional wrestler, you'd name it, like, Thor. <laughs> if not, you know, you're not going to name it, like, Francis, the professional wrestler or something. You can't. So you're, you're trying to thinking through, like, what, what kind of child am I going to have? And just listen to what the angel has to say to her. He'll be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Everything she ever wanted to know about her son is just like right there. You're going to be pregnant. You're going to give birth to a boy. He's going to be called Jesus, and he's going to be great. I mean, all your fears are gone as a parent. You're wondering what's going to happen and what's going to be, but the Lord is now blessing this child, and this is a miraculous thing. Not all announcements, though, um, are that exciting, are they? As we think about this Christmas, I think one of the things we get from Mary is how many announcements have you received recently? Probably not from an angel. Maybe it's from a boss that says, hey, we're going to restructure some things. Maybe the announcement comes from a doctor who says, now you need surgery. Maybe it comes from a friend or a girlfriend or a boyfriend that says, hey, here's the announcement, we're done. Maybe it comes from your kids who say, I'm so angry at you. Maybe it comes from someone you really care about. Maybe it comes from a bill collector. In all these moments, these are announcements that we don't really anticipate. How do you handle those? Mary, in the midst of this, hears this whole amazing announcement about that she's about to give birth to the Savior of the world, and she just steps back and just says, you know, how can this be since I'm a virgin? That's her one question. Like, how's this going to happen here? And I think it's amazing, if, if, I think one of the takeaways that I take away from Mary's life is she, she asks a simple question, and I notice that the angel does not come back and rebuke her. The angel doesn't say, if you ask questions of what God does in your life, um, you're outside of my sphere of love. Instead, when she asks a question, the angel responds. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, she says. May your word, be to me, word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. 
What's your story? Everyone's got a different story, and, and one of the things that we get to learn from Mary is not only do we get un, uh, unexpected announcements, but what's your story, and what's the story that you're going to tell people? And I think when you, we, we roll into this Christmas season, and we get look at the excitement of Mary and this wonder, it's really easy to make our story just kind of be the primary thing. And you finally have a position just like Mary. Now she's going to give birth to a son. And maybe she's thinking in the back of their head, you know what's going to be really cool is that when I have these own festivals with my own kids, when I get to sit down with him and tell him the story of the Passover, and when I get to create these traditions that are going to get passed on again and again, what's the story you're going to tell? And what's the story you're going to tell your friends and your neighbors when you get these unexpected announcements that say, hey, now I'm sick? What's the story you're going to set, tell when that test is a pregnancy test and you say, now I'm going to give birth to a, a son? What's the story you're going to say when you're blessed by the Lord? What's the story that the world is going to see? Is it going to fade to the distance? Or is an announcement like this going to bring the story of Christ up to the front? You've got a chance this Christmas season to influence a whole lot of people. And you've got a chance to tell them the story, not just a story. Because this story is connected for a thousand years. It's a promise that was made to Abraham. It's a promise that was made to Moses and to David and to Mary that there was going to be a Savior who actually walks on this earth, a Savior who actually lives and breathes, a Savior who says to you, your sins are taken away. That's your story. And as you sit down and talk and you get to hang out with family and friends, I said you've got a busy calendar. I'm guessing you're going to more social functions than you've ever gone to. In the midst of telling your kids this story, in the midst of telling your friends this story, are you telling the story of Jesus? Are you taking a chance to say this is really about his story? This season, uh, and we're trying to help you to be able to do that, um, because not everyone, and this is, I think, the main reason why, everyone's got a story at Christmas, and everyone's got these wonderful traditions, and everyone's got things they've done, and things that make them joyous, and things that uh, they're so excited about, but not everyone at the end of the day has a story that says, I have a Savior not everyone at the end of the day has a story that says, I'm forgiven. And not everyone has a, thing, a story that says, I've got peace when a bill comes and I'm not sure how I'm going to pay it. Not everyone has peace when they find out their job is gone. Not everyone has peace when they're about to face savior, uh, uh, surgery. Not everyone has peace when a relationship is broken. You get a chance as a Christian to say, hey, here's the story. Uh, one way to do that is we've got a uh, hundred of these so they subsidize it. But this is a new film that came out from our group of churches. It's a short film called My Son, My Savior. It's about the life of Mary and having a son, the Savior. And so we've got 100. Take one of these. And the way that I plan to use it with neighbors or friends is we've got our, I don't know if I can get this out. Susan filled these. I've got fat fingers here. I can't. There we go. This shouldn't be this difficult. There we go. Um, we, we've got gift cards. So, not gift cards. We've got cards that are just real simple, fat Christmas cards that say, say Christmas, worship, and times. They let people know when they can come here to worship on Christmas Eve. They let people know when they can come and serve. And I think it would be worthwhile to say, hey, it's really about this story. And you don't have to be a master storyteller. You can say, here's a video. Pretty simple, 40 minutes long, and you can watch it. And we'd love to see you hear more about it at our church. What's your story? Mary's story was fascination with the festival, I think, as a child, and then started to transition to moving on with life. 
But now a sudden announcement opens her eyes to say that this is still about the Savior. And I pray that this sudden announcement and this time of Christmas opens your eyes that this whole season is about a coming Savior. And you can tell a story to people that their story includes forgiveness. Amen.